This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for July 19th, 2019. In this week's episode, Zoom gets zapped, how silent signature updates are delivered, and Josh tells us about his trip to Monaco, where he delivered a talk on malware, and we'll take a look at some specific examples. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Isn't Zoom a good name for an app? Um, sure. You know, I, I, I can't say that I think it is anymore. Yes, but originally it suggests motion, velocity, energy. And now all I can think about with Zoom is danger. Um, this broke last week. Uh, we recorded our podcast episode last week a little bit early because of holiday schedules and all that. And this broke just before um, last week's episode came out. We weren't able to talk about it. It's actually good that we're talking about it this week because so much happened. So Zoom is an app that people use for video conferencing. It's kind of like Skype. It's an app you download, and you can have a whole bunch of people join a conference, and um, you can control and send notes. And it's if you've used GoToMeeting and other things, it's similar to that. Uh, it turned out that when Zoom was installed on a Mac, the company decided that they didn't want people to have to click a little button when Zoom wanted access to your camera. So they made a shortcut. Essentially, they made a little mini web server that would relaunch when you restarted your Mac and that would continue to run and download the app even if you deleted the app from your applications folder. Now, they claimed that they were doing this for a better user experience so people didn't have to click a button. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you might see a potential problem with that. And, of course, uh, a, a researcher did. A, a researcher actually reported that, hey, guys, this is not good behavior. This actually makes it really easy for a remote attacker even to be able to potentially exploit uh, you know, the always running nature of this and just be able to drop in on somebody through their Zoom software just because they have Zoom software installed. Uh, you could potentially even do this through a rogue script on a website. Um, and the company was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> we, that, that doesn't really seem like it's very realistic. And this is all for user convenience. I mean, this just makes it easy for everybody. And, you know, we don't really think that's going to happen. And so essentially, they, they kind of fumbled around with this and, and didn't really properly fix the issue. They, they did something that they thought kind of addressed the researchers, security researchers concern. And, and then they dropped it. And, um, and this wasn't um, what they should have done um, because they they hit the the deadline that the researcher gave them. This is a very common thing in the security industry. If you yeah, researchers will contact a vendor and say, "I found a vulnerability. I'll give you two weeks to fix it." Yeah, it's, it's the the disclosure window is usually ninety days. Most of the time, it's ninety oh, okay. days. So they'll say, 
Um, okay, from the time that I first contacted you, 90 days is this date. So if you don't have it fixed by that date, then I reserve the right to contact the public. And the reason for this is because um, generally security researchers feel like this, you know, vulnerabilities that are severe enough, if there's a, if they found it, it's pos- possible, you know, certainly plausible that say a nation state actor or somebody who's actively hunting for bugs all the time in order to exploit them, to attack people that they could have easily found this too. And so the idea is not, you know, as some people might assume to just be malicious and slander the company or libel or whatever, um, you know, to announce to the world, you know, in whatever way that they can, that the company is doing something wrong and make them have to patch this as soon as possible. That it's, it's not, it's not from a malicious standpoint. This is researchers do this to try to help protect the end user who might already have these things being exploited against them uh, without their knowledge. We'll, we'll link in the show notes to an article on Medium by Jonathan Lightshu. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think he's the person who discovered this. Um, he's got a detailed timeline of when he contacted the company and what sort of um, responses he got from them. When this first broke, I saw on a website how you can find if this server is running. This is a terminal command. Um, you would check for a process. When you find the process number, uh, you would kill it. And I found that I had this running. Um, I had installed this a few weeks ago. I moved my personal websites to WordPress.com. And WordPress has different plans. And if you get the business or the pro plan, you get a half-hour call, um, what they call a concierge service, to walk you through WordPress, answer any questions. Now, I've been using WordPress for 15 years or however many, and I didn't have too many questions, but there were a few. So I said, okay, let me take advantage of this. WordPress uses Zoom. Um, they only emailed me two days ago on the 16th to let me know about a security vulnerability in the Zoom web conferencing tool, which we asked you to install for a concierge support session. This, this for me, has like pushed me over the edge. I will not install software ever again for a client. I've had clients or prospective clients who each use a different type of conferencing software. I will no longer do it. If someone can send me a web link, or if we can use Skype, because I use Skype regularly, and I'm not too worried about Skype, um, I'll be happy to do it. But this is it. I won't do this anymore. Yeah, I, I don't blame you for, for feeling that way, because, I mean, for goodness sakes, there's there's dozens of of these types of services uh to be able to have a meeting i mean it's it's kind of crazy really Um, it's big business because any company that works with remote employees uses this kind of stuff regularly i think a lot of them use google hangouts because there's a business version a lot of them use skype because there's a business version of skype as well but other companies want other solutions in any case um what's interesting is that apple did something that i think they've only done once before and they pushed out a silent update to, I think the silent update deleted the actual web server. Right. A lot of people started complaining about this silent update as if it was a problem, and Apple was protecting people. I don't see why people were complaining about this. Right. Yeah. Th- so this is something that um, Apple has the capability to do if there's a really urgent, very severe, uh, usually malware problem then Apple has has the ability to um, to update their malicious software removal tool, their MRT uh, utility. And 
when uh, when they do this, then it will automatically run on your computer and it will eliminate any malware that it finds. In this case, technically it wasn't malware. This was actually legitimate signed software. Uh, it was just improperly designed. And well, would you, wouldn't you say that something that has a vulnerability of this type could be considered to be potentially exploitable? As you're saying, it's not malware, but right. the vulnerability was there. It was exploitable. People knew about it. Right. And and that's exactly the problem. The, the problem is that after the company finally said, okay, yeah, you're right. Oh, yeah, now that it's public knowledge, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll fix it properly. Um, but you know, by the time that they said this and, and they were in the process actually of pushing out, uh, a new version of their software. Um, but, uh, it was kind of too little too late and Apple felt this is urgent enough that we need to push something out now because if we don't, then people are going to be attacking Macs and this is going to be on the news and this is not a good thing. And so they did the only thing that they could do and save face, which was to immediately push out this update. Okay, we got an email from a listener named Gilles who asked, um, could you explain how this is done? Apple often pushes silent signature updates. I have automatic download, but not automatic installation of updates on my Mac. How can we verify that Apple bypassed everything and pushed the silent update on my Mac? Now, you need to understand how the software update system works on Mac OS. Um, if you go into system preferences and then click the software update icon, you will see either you have software updates or um, your Mac is up to date. And this is for operating system updates only. Apps come through the Mac App Store. There's a checkbox that says automatically keep my Mac up to date. And if you check that, it will download and install updates automatically. Now, I don't have that checked. But if you check the advanced button, you'll see an option at the bottom of the dialog, install system data files and security updates. Now that is checked by default. If you have that on, you will get all these updates to, as you said, the MRT system, and they will be updated automatically. If you uncheck this, then the update that Apple pushed will show as an available update in the software update pane. Yeah, and, and this is something that, of course, we do recommend that you leave this checked. Um, exactly for this reason, because if you don't happen to be following the headlines and realize that, hey, there's some really serious update available, um, you know, you may miss out on getting this patched or this type of thing patched uh, or some malware removed uh, from your system. Now, of course, if you're using Intego Virus Barrier and it is actual malware, then, of course, uh, we'll probably have a signature before Apple because 99 point uh, almost infinite repeating nines of the top percent <laughs> of the time, we're going to have a signature before Apple uh, because, unfortunately, Apple is very slow generally to uh, release signatures for malware. But yeah. um, nevertheless, uh, in this case, it, it actually wasn't really malware, but it was a serious vulnerability that was across just about every Mac. And so, um, you know, I, I think that Apple did the only thing that they could have done. Um, and and so having that box checked is important for, for things like this. Um, now, so the second part of the question, though, was how do I know whether this update has been pushed to my Mac? Um, the easiest way to tell something like this, there, there's, 
potentially some ways that you can do it with uh, terminal commands, but it's a little, frankly, it's really difficult <laughs> to, to find this out. Um, one of the, the ways that you can do this, probably the simplest thing is to use a, a utility. There's a utility from the Eclectic Light Company, um, and we'll have a link, of course, in the show notes. It's called Silent Night with uh, a K, uh, like a guardian. So Silent Night. Oh, like a chess uh, piece? Yes, there you go. Uh, and, and this is all strung together as one word. Uh, and what this app will do is it will show you, among other things, it will show you whether you have the latest version of XProtect, which we've talked about many times. That's uh, the sort of rudimentary, you know, um, malware checking and, uh, and signature checking uh, software. Um, it makes sure that, um, you don't have some extremely popular bits of Mac malware that Apple has known about for a while and finally released a signature after all the other antivirus companies have. Um, and, uh, it also does things like, you know, making sure that your flash player plugin is not, um, a certain age out of date and certain other things like that. And then you also have MRT, which we just talked about, which is uh, this malware rem- removal tool. And um, so that's what Apple updated in this case. And so when you run Silent Night, it's going to check to make sure you've got the latest version of both XProtect and MRT. And it also checks some other things as well. Okay. And if you want to know when the updates were applied, uh, you can open terminal, type software update in one word, then type a space, then dash dash history without a space between the dashes and history. Press return, and you'll see your up software update history since you've had the Mac. And in my case, it goes back to 2014 because I've migrated Macs over the years, so it's retaining that history. And in this particular case, you'll see that on the 11th of July, um, Apple released MRT config data, which was the first update to fix the Zoom vulnerability. And on the 17th, they released a second update because another vulnerability was found. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so what what happened here is that originally Zoom was the the known problem and was uh, was the target of Apple's MRT update. And then it turns out that a whole bunch of other companies are licensing technology from Zoom. And so there were, gosh, I don't know, I think at least a dozen other um, companies that were that also had software that was affected by this. And so Apple just did the same thing that they did with Zoom and said, okay, if you've got a vulnerable ver- vulnerable version on your system, then we're going to wipe it out. Uh, we're going to wipe out that web server functionality that puts your Mac at risk. And so that's what the second version of the update did. You, you said earlier how many different apps there were that do this sort of video conferencing, and this is why. And it turns out that the company that makes Zoom makes what are, what are called white label apps for other companies. So any company can go to Zoom and say, I want a conferencing app called Whoosh. Could you make it for me? And so a company comes out with Whoosh, which is the same as Zoom, but the colors are different, um, and it just looks a little bit different. It's not uncommon in the security industry, in fact. Um, white label antiviruses and firewalls. And in fact, there's a lot of software like that. Okay, we had another vulnerability, uh, which I found a bit surprising. Um, have you ever used walkie-talkie on your Apple Watch? You know, I tried it once when I very first got my Apple Watch. It didn't really work. And so I said, okay, forget it. 
It's exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess technically I'd had my watch for a while. This was, this came with a watch OS update is actually what yeah, it was. Last year's watch OS. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what worried me is that once you activate it, it's on all the time and it's going to use battery life. And there's a potential for someone listening and, Oh, what do you know? There was a vulnerability that could allow iPhones to be eavesdropped. Oh boy. Yeah. You would think that Apple would have learned its lesson with the big FaceTime vulnerability that there was not that long ago. Um, but apparently they didn't really do enough digging into walkie talkie and somebody found a, a way to exploit walkie talkie to drop in on somebody just in very similar manner to the FaceTime bug that we had a little while back. We'll link to an article in TechCrunch, and what I find interesting in the article is that Apple was alerted to the bug via its Report of Vulnerability portal. So Apple has this website where you can report issues, and we always think it's like a black hole, but actually someone uh, looked into this and found that it was a, a problem. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of what makes this story interesting is because the FaceTime vulnerability was actually found by a kid and then yeah. his, he and his mom were trying to figure out how to report this and all. So, um, you know, Apple was like, yeah, but we, we have a portal for this. And so somebody actually did use that portal this time, which is good. <laughs> it's nice that somebody knew that such a thing existed. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Josh is going to tell us all about his trip to the Riviera. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, before the break, I mentioned that Josh jetted off to monaco um hanging out on the riviera with wonderful summer weather i don't think you were there for the beach though were you um no in fact you know i didn't realize until after i was there i didn't even bring a swimsuit <laughs> we're, we're like right on the beach and i'm like oh shoot well i mean i guess i could go down there in my work clothes you know but uh all of monaco is essentially on the beach i mean monaco was quite yeah. small i've been there a number of times um it, it's at, at worst, you'd walk 10 or 15 minutes to get to the beach. But you had other things to do. Tell us about your talk. Uh, I, I find this really interesting because, you know, we talk about malware and who makes malware. And one of the things that you've been analyzing for Intego is who makes malware. And in particular, you followed, um, followed some breadcrumbs to identify the makers of some malware. 
Right. Um, so, and just, so if you want to follow along with this, we'll have links in the show notes. Um, there's a couple of different versions of this that, um, we've made available. Um, so one is the slides from my presentation, um, which has some nice fancy pictures and stuff. And then we also have, um, a white paper, uh, a, a PDF that you can, read the whole narrative, um, from the beginning. Um, and so we'll make those, both of those available in the show notes. So, um, what I went through in this talk was, um, first of all, I talked a little bit briefly about, you know, why it is that people make malware. Um, this is something that people ask me a lot, you know, why would anybody create a virus or, you know, any kind of malicious software? What's the, what's the purpose of this? Um, so I started out by just explaining briefly that, uh, th the main reasons are, uh, it, well, lately anyway, within recent years, the main reasons are either for monetary gain, um, you know, somebody may want to run a cryptocurrency miner on your computer. So they're exploiting your computer for financial gain if they can happen to mine a coin, for example. Um, another very common reason for certain types of malware is uh, for spying on people, often for, you know, because a nation state developed some malware. Um, so, this is the Tom Cruise the Tom type Cruise stuff, stuff that we're yeah. always talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. where a very sophisticated attacker has developed something. Uh, for the purpose of either spying, you know, cyber espionage, or in some case, cyber attacks, uh, things like uh, the Stuxnet malware that uh, came out many years ago, and, um, you know, attacked Iran's nuclear enrichment facilities and things like that. So, um, so fin financial gain or political motivations, those are very common reasons today. It's actually pretty rare compared to kind of the history of viruses, um, when it comes to things like, you know, oh, I did it for the thrills or I did it, you know, just to prove that I could, um, most of the time actual malware these days is not really motivated by those kind of reasons anymore. But those people who made that kind of malware did it just to get points and they didn't really harm anyone in many cases. Yeah. In some cases. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were other cases where they, they certainly didn't mean any harm, but it sort of got yeah, away from but, them. Uh, you yeah. have worms and things like that that have uh, been, originally been just intended as just playing around with something and then it got out of control. So why do you want to find out who's created certain malware? Well, there's there's a lot of reasons why it can be useful. I, and the one that I've mainly focused on was that if malware developers, in some cases, we can actually uniquely identify them, which is the primary thing that, that this talk was about. And if we can show malware developers, hey, guys, um, a lot of the time we can find out exactly who you are. So maybe you shouldn't try to make malware because you, you're very likely going to get caught. And, and the idea that it's there's so many different ways that you can get caught um, I, it should give someone who's potentially going to be a malware developer pause and make them think twice about whether they really want to go down this path. Okay, so one of the uh, pieces of malware you discuss is the cold root rat. Tell us what that is quickly, and what did you find? 
Yeah, so a, a RAT is a remote administration tool or remote access trojan. Um, this particular one, Coldroot, was found uh, by a researcher named Patrick Wardle, who we've mentioned before. Uh, Patrick actually is the one who runs this uh, security conference that where I went to speak. Um, and so he he discovered this RAT, and he does a little bit of background research on it. And one of the things that he found was that the developer actually had a YouTube channel, uh, which is now offline, by the way, or at least this video is, is no longer available. But uh, he had some screenshots in his write-up about this rat. Um, and one of the things in, in one of the screenshots was that this malware developer had said, uh, oh, you'll be able to find all the details at coldroot.com, which was his website. And so I thought, huh, um, that website, you know, may not be available anymore, but uh, let's look at archive.org, which has the uh, Internet Archive's Wayback Machine, and let's see if we can find older versions of that website and see what it used to look like at the time that this was originally posted on YouTube, that this comment was posted. So I did. I pulled it up on the Wayback Machine. And to my great surprise, <laughs> this guy Cold Zero, who developed uh, the Cold Root Rat, originally used this site as a sort of personal homepage, complete with his real name, his nickname, photographs of himself, and links to all of his social media accounts. Um, and he used the name Cold Zero for all of his accounts, Facebook and Google Plus and Twitter and everything. So um, he basically attributed this rat to himself uh, unintentionally in so doing. And, and and he calls himself a senior malware analyst for a specific company. Um, <sighs> as you say, the Wayback Machine on archive.org is really interesting. You, you can go back and find a lot of stuff if your site gets indexed. And it's not hard to put a little uh, robots.txt file on your website so it's not indexed. But I don't think every search engine necessarily respects that. So if you're putting that information online, you just have to know that somehow it's going to get out. Right. Um, another one you looked at is Apple Juice, J-E-U-S. Tell us about Apple Juice. Okay. So the Lazarus Group is uh, a threat actor that is generally identified as being uh, having ties to North Korea. Um, and... In the past, the Lazarus Group hasn't hadn't really done a whole lot to target the Mac in particular, um, but this hacking team um, released a variant of their Fall Chill malware for Mac uh, last year through a cryptocurrency app called Sealess Trade Pro, and so um, again, there was a great write up that uh, that Patrick Wardle did um, and. Uh, and, and we also have uh, articles about each of these bits of malware on our uh, Intego Mac security blog as well. Um, again, you can find all the links to these um, in the white paper uh, PDF. Um, and so the, the Lazarus group, basically what it seems like possibly happened, we don't necessarily know all the behind the scenes detailed, but, uh, but it looks like what happened is that they hired a developer who already kind of knew something about cryptocurrency and they had to make this app. And then essentially they exploited this app um, to do some nasty things that we won't get into right now. But suffice it to say that they had a Trojan horse out there. 
And the developers of this Trojan horse were two guys who were apparently named John Brooks with an X. So probably not a real name because that's not an actual, at least not a common surname at all. And uh, someone else whose name was Wally Darwish. Um, Now, I found that second name, the the first name you could find just by getting info on the app. The second name, though, um, it turned out that the Windows version of the malware was uploaded to a site called VirusTotal, which runs, which checks uh, anything that you upload against like 60 different antivirus engines. And two people had marked this site er, and two people had marked this file as safe. And that was John Brooks. And, and another guy that we and Wally Darwish, who we hadn't <laughs> heard about before. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I started researching Wally Darwish. Um, and one thing led to another. I found this guy's LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. Um, it looks like, you know, he had been in the greater Los Angeles area, possibly may have moved um, to where this company was based. Shell company, perhaps. Um, and interestingly, he might actually be a real person. I found that on LinkedIn, he was a third degree connection with me. To you. So that means he's connected to someone else in the security industry that you're connected to. Yeah. So, so yeah, right. So he's connected to somebody who's connected to somebody who's connected to him. Um, so yeah, interesting. So that definitely gives some credence to the possibility. This may actually be a real person. So we know his name and we know it because once again, he put it out there, uh, without really intending to probably. He shows up as a third degree connection to me, but probably because you and I are both connected to someone else. Um, who's right. connected to, et cetera, et cetera. He says in his about, I know how to act the blockchain in cryptocurrency, and I am very interested in Ethereum tokens. Good investment will get capital, good profit. Um, so, so all this basically gives a pretty interesting lesson that it's not that easy to hide yourself on the internet, is it? There, there are little things, like you said, that the two people who marked this file is safe. Another thing I know that people occasionally do is you'll find a Twitter account and they'll have uploaded a photo which has GPS information of where they live and then they can get identified. Yes. Yeah. This is unfortunately all too common. Uh, you know, we live in this social media world and a lot of times people don't really think about the ramifications of uploading something. And in, in many cases, they don't know um, about certain ways that they can get caught. Um, and we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, to just really briefly give a teaser about this other one, um, Creative Updater, uh, there's some fun stuff with this one. This was some, uh, some malware, some Trojanized versions of Firefox and a couple of utility software that was found on Mac Update very briefly in February of last year. Just the week before the conference, I... Was I was kind of looking for something else to add to the talk, and I thought, you know what? We never found out about this Ramos Jackson guy or this Tiago Brandeo Mateus guy, and let me see if I can find something out. And I did. I found exactly who Tiago Mateus is, and uh, so let that be a little teaser. And the way that the, <laughs> that the, uh, his information was found out, the way he accidentally gave out his name is pretty interesting. So you'll definitely want to uh, read the white paper and find out all the details. It is. Yeah. It, it's a great read. Um, 
that there's there's something in here that should be in a movie like the movie with a name like mission something would be good it wouldn't it? yes <laughs> absolutely this is this is crazy stuff but i to drive the point home and there's two other case studies that we also talk about these these are the three that um that i had some involvement with finding the the guy in uh behind the scenes but um uh, th- there's really great stuff in here. And, and what I want people to really take home from this is there are so many different ways that you can leave fingerprints behind without even realizing it. Um, and so again, I, anyone who's ever considering making any malware, I really hope that they come across this white paper and realize, Ooh, you know, uh, this is not such a great idea because uh, there's so much that I don't know that in, any individual doesn't know about digital forensics, uh, about open source intelligence. There are so many ways to find out information about you. So let this be a warning. And near the end of the slides, I like the way you've added a little caption there. You know the way you, you see a movie about a crime and then they say, like, what's happened to the person? So-and-so is currently serving seven years. Yeah. And so you talk about this fruit fly. Um, the FBI tracked down Philip R. Durachinsky, the creator of the fruit fly malware, which Durachinsky had been using for 14 years to spy on victims in the U.S. Durachinsky is still awaiting trial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, this was very interesting, Josh. Um, Until next week, stay really secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>